Regional. The ruling is the latest challenge to firearms regulations after the U.S. Supreme Court's conservative majority set new standards for reviewing the nation's gun laws. U.S. District Judge Patrick Weirich in Oklahoma City dismissed an indictment against Jarrett Michael Harrison, who was charged in August with violating a federal law that makes it illegal for unlawful users or addicts of controlled substances to possess firearms. Harrison's lawyers had argued the portion of federal firearms law focused on drug users or addicts was not consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearms regulation, echoing what the U.S. Supreme Court ruled last year in a case known as New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. That case set new standards for interpreting the Second Amendment. And joining us here, Larry uh, COVID is Corin is going to be with us. Pardon me. He's written a book on the Second Amendment. Larry, how are you? Do you agree or disagree with what the judges are saying here? I I agree. Uh, our Second Amendment rights belong to all Americans, and if you are da- if you are so dangerous that they need to keep you in prison, you shouldn't have it. But if you're free, if they'll let you go, then by golly, you should have your Second Amendment rights. That's for everyone. Yeah, this is saying that preemptively if they know that you use marijuana let's see they check and you've got one of those cards that let you buy marijuana at a dispensary that they can deny you a firearm whereas it should be if you use that firearm while you're under the influence of a drug or whatever then we got a different ball of wax correct correct the the, the thing is about the gun control laws they're all preemptive and none of them work and they just keep throwing more and more at us to get more and more people, uh, you know, take it, just more, take more of our rights away. Uh, so I wrote this book in defense of the Second Amendment. It was my attempt to just kind of like get all these gun laws out there and talk about it, what they do and how they fail. Try to help you guys and help everybody like put together good arguments and fight back against these people. Try to move the needle on this. And uh, yeah, this is one. The, the marijuana thing is one way of many. They do it with everything else, too. If, if they can find a way to take away somebody's rights, uh, they're going to do it, and they can use it against somebody else. So, like you said, Bruin, uh, the Supreme Court decision, huge. That helps us a lot. Uh, the Supreme Court has said there's got to be historical reasons for it. There's got to be uh, good justification for it. They can't just willy-nilly just slap on rules wherever they want and take away our rights. And so it, it's been a long fight, but we are definitely making some gains in court lately. Paul, you had a question. Yeah, so this is Paul Calvert. Um, one of the things that some states have been working on is kind of some nullification laws, or like Missouri, they call it the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And um, we've worked on that some here in Arkansas. We're hope, I'm hoping to get a little more done with that um, this session, because there's some interest by legislators, I think. What are your thoughts on some of those laws? Basically, I think in Missouri, there's a civil cause of action, I think, of $50,000 per incident if government officials help the federal government or state state officials help the government, the federal government to enforce some of those federal laws. Do you think those are effective? Do you think that's kind of just spinning their wheels? Or what is the what are your thoughts on those type of laws? I think it's extremely effective. I, I like seeing county. I like seeing county sheriffs stand up. I like seeing state legislators stand up. Honestly, for the last decade, the left had no problem with sanctuary cities for drug laws, sanctuary cities against uh, immigration laws. Basically, any federal law that they didn't like, they would just not enforce it. Um, and honestly, they turnaround's fair prey. And we're in a situation where the federal government keeps trying to take away our rights. And if we can have lower levels of government say, we're not going to help you enforce that stuff, then that negates a lot of their power. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Illinois just passed their assault weapons ban. They got 100, I believe 110 counties, and last I saw, like 92 of them. Uh, so nine out of 10 counties. The sheriffs are saying they aren't going to do it because it's blatantly unconstitutional. Nice. How about red flag laws? You know, we hear that DeSantis is talking about running for president. When I look at Florida and see the red flag laws that was championed by Republicans in Florida, uh, I haven't seen any repealing of that. And even CNN touts how many guns that Florida judges are taking away from people that haven't been convicted of anything yet. So what do you think about the red flag laws and, and Republicans passing them? Yeah, I've got a chapter about that in the book. I go into basically how, how they're supposed to work, and it's a lie. Um, it's just 
it's some feel-good propaganda, but it doesn't work in real life. And the actual evidence shows it doesn't work in real life. And I go into that and I cite everything. And it's ripe for abuse. Uh, all exactly. it takes is someone to say, I've got a relationship with this person. They're dangerous. they got guns. They're going to hurt people. Cops raid your house. If they don't shoot you during the raid because it's 3 o'clock in the morning and they surprised you, uh, you got to go to court uh, and spend who knows how much money and time on lawyers to try to get your rights back, all because this was taken away from you with no due process. And then it doesn't actually stop bad guys, like real bad guys. If you got a disgruntled, angry guy who's planning on doing something evil, you go and you take his guns, he's still free. He's not committed. This is not a commitment law, but they take his guns away. There's nothing stopping him from getting more guns, like all criminals, you know, they get stolen guns. Or there's nothing stopping him from building a bomb or driving his car down the sidewalk. So the laws are feel-good nonsense. And the Republicans, uh, especially like uh, this last time around in the Senate, we had 15 Republicans uh, vote for this uh, stupid nonsense funding this. And uh, they, 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 they get swindled on the on the on the on the, it feels good it sounds like it's going to work but like i I, pr- I provide the evidence to show uh in depth that it does not work and republicans need to quit supporting this just foolish uh taking away of people's rights no well, there, there was this is paul covered again there, there was some legislation that was red a red flag law bill that came through i think a couple of years ago or so and you look, you read the legislation, it actually sounds pretty good. It sounds like, or it looks like, well, they've got some due process written into it. They've got some protections due written process. into it. But part of the problem is, is that, as, as one of the senators brought up, is that, so someone lies about you. There's no accountability. And so it's written into the law. But the problem is that the, the, they don't actually hold these people accountable when they make false allegations and take your rights away. It's like, oh, no big deal. And, the and due so process is after that you've been <clears throat> taken, your rights have been taken away from you without any convictions at all. Then you've got due process to try to get your rights back. That is not due process at all in my book. Well, and part of it, part of it is you need the accountability on the backside. Just, just like we have warrant, a warrant process where a judge has to sign off on it, and and then they get to search your house. One of the things that that should protect us is well, if the judge is corrupt and he signed a warrant with no no valid reason, well, he should be prosecuted. But unfortunately, we don't even have a protections like that that are effective, from what I understand. And so while these red flag logs, laws look good on paper, a lot of times they're so dangerous because we can't trust the system to actually hold the bad actors accountable. Well, in the book, I actually go through and I cite a bunch of cases from around the country. Uh, because every state's laws are different. There's not a federal red flag law. It's by state by state, they mm-hmm. vary. There's, most of them have zero accountability for the accusers. I, I got a case in the book from Colorado where uh, a cop shot somebody in the line of duty. It was ruled a justified shooting. Then the mom of the guy who got shot red flagged the cop. <laughs> I dare you. Like that happens. We've, yeah. got, we've got where stalkers have stalkers have red flagged the women they're stalking. Oh, and disarm them. Oh, my. Well, thank you for putting that out there. We'll have to look at your book, but uh, let's, keep an eye, let's keep an eye on Florida and other states and see if they repeal any of these laws. Yeah, Larry, let me bring up another decision came uh, after New Orleans-based 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled uh, last Thursday that a federal law barring people with domestic violence restraining orders have a constitutional right to own firearms. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's actually uh, that's a big deal overall, not just for that one specific thing about the domestic abuse, but on all these gun regulations. It's a blow against all the gun regulations that are kind of pre-crime, where they're taking away your rights before you've had any sort of conviction. Uh, in this case, if someone files a domestic violence restraining order on you, okay, that is what it is, but how that guy hasn't been convicted of a crime. He hasn't uh, been convicted of murder or assault or anything. It's just that there's paperwork filed against him. Um, now, the details of that case, I mean, that guy did some bad stuff, right? But overall, looking at this as a, as a thing for all Americans, no, it's a good good thing because we have this fundamental basis in the country right now that the left has pushed everywhere they can where they criminalize uh, things that aren't crimes yet. Like there's paperwork violations there are, it's like the red flags. You haven't done anything yet, but someone accused you of something. And so it's the accused losing their rights, not the convicted. 
So that, that's, that decision uh, from the Fifth Circuit is actually going to uh, reverberate uh, quite a bit across, the, across gun rights, not just on domestic violence, but on any, any other decision where they're trying to take away our rights before we've actually been convicted of doing anything wrong. All right. In defense of the Second Amendment is the name of the book. Where do you fall on felons not being able to allow to be uh, carry a, a weapon? Do they give up that right if they've committed a felony or not? Well, it depends on the felony. And also, if they're so dangerous that we can't trust them with a gun, why are we letting them out of prison? Um, so if you have someone who's a violent serial rapist and he serves his time, they let him free... That guy is different than somebody that, you know, committed tax evasion uh, 20 years ago. Or wrote a hot check. Uh, oh, yeah, or somebody who wrote a bad check 10 years ago. Why should that person, let's say, let's say it's a lady, and now, you know, she got caught with marijuana in 1989. Uh, and now she's a grandma, a respectable citizen, and she's, she's at your church. Why should she not be allowed to carry a gun because she has a felony conviction from when she was 20 years old? So right. I'm very much in favor of, of letting people have their rights back. All right. Good question. I think a good answer. And uh, the name of the book, again, is In Defense of the Second Amendment. Larry, thanks so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. And some good things there. Good things to think about. Yeah. No, At I least think, I would I, hope. I think he makes a good point. You know, if if they're trustworthy enough to be set free, then... Why aren't they given their right? Don't forget about PI Roofing and Home Solutions. PI Roofing's been known for years for doing great work on your roofs. They've done my roof several times. They've done roofs of my friends, roofs on businesses. They've done it all, and everybody has given them stellar ratings for the work they've done. Well, now they're Home Solutions which means that if you have some construction that needs to be done around your home, they can do that as well. I mean, if you've ever had tried to get a company to come out and do a, you know, a deck or something for you, you know as well as I do that uh, you know, they're not interested normally. Uh, PI Roofing will repair your deck, build you a deck, put in windows, put on gutters, all of that because no job is too small for them. Now, get a hold of them the way you do about uh, dealing with your your roof. You just call them, 501-707-3115, or visit them online at piroofing.com. Special guest with us. We haven't had him on in a while. It's good to have him back. Michael Cutler joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Today, want to talk to him about a former FBI counterintelligence chief has been linked to Russian collusion, the Russian collusion hoax, and uh, charged with violating U.S. sanctions on Russia. So uh, with that said, let me just turn him loose because he'll give you more information than you know what to do with it. You're up, Mike. Thank you so much, Dave. Always great to join you. I hope you're doing well. I am doing good. I wrote an an article for Front Page Magazine. You know, I've been writing for them for, my gosh, about eight or nine years now. They're a terrific uh, organization. And the story that came to light is is really incredible. You know, uh, we have a case with, first of all, you you know the investigation um, that was launched against Donald Trump, Crossfire Hurricane. An FBI boss, this guy was the special agent in charge of all counterintelligence operations in the New York field office of the FBI. And uh, to my knowledge, that's the office that has the biggest uh, force to go after counterintelligence because the United Nations is in New York City. So the special agent in charge of that division had under his command every FBI agent involved in counterintelligence. Uh, These are people that are looking for spies, looking to cultivate sources within foreign governments and so forth. It's a clear nexus to national security. Now, the incredible thing, this guy, if he was in the military, would be a general. Now, sometimes you hear about corruption, a low-level guy. This guy allegedly became corrupted where he helped a Russian oligarch who had been sanctioned by the federal government. And apparently the connection was made between this former FBI agent, the guy by the name of Charles McGonagall, and a um, 
a former diplomat. Now, imagine how stupid we are. We have a former Russian diplomat, a careerist, who worked as a translator for the Russians in New York mostly, who apparently became a United States citizen when he retired, which is fine. You can do that. You can leave one country, come to another. But then our government gave him a clearance so that he could be a translator working for the federal court system and federal agencies. Most people don't understand just how sensitive a job translators have. I worked with many translators during my 30-year career with the old INS because they become your mouth, your ears, and your eyes. They hear everything you're saying. They translate what the person you're speaking to says. They get to see documents. They're in the middle of it all. They know who the informants are. They, knew who the, they know who the agents are, and they see sensitive documents. I can't imagine a, a more sensitive position for somebody to have within our government. So you take a former diplomat. He was there for decades, even when Russia was the Soviet Union before the Soviet Union collapsed. Citizen and gave him a clearance so he could be a translator. I'd love to know how in the world his background investigation could have been conducted because I can assure you that the Russians would have blocked any efforts to do any kind of a meaningful field investigation back in Russia. And so this individual, and his name was Sergei Shastakov, apparently approached Charles McGonagall and worked out a deal where McGonagall would work to help to get the sanctions removed from the from this Russian oligarch uh, and also open an investigation into a competing oligarch. So he used his authority as an FBI boss to open up an investigation into a different Russian while trying to shield this individual that uh, allegedly gave him $225,000. So now you, you go back and look at Operation crossfire hurricane, that was exactly the tactic used against Trump and the people who were close to Trump, opening an investigation based on a bogus document, the Steele document, accusing Donald Trump of colluding with Russia. I mean, I see a pattern if these are actual facts that wind up getting substantiated at trial. Again, these are allegations. And what I find really incredible is that nobody is focusing on this guy, Sergei Shastikov, who was the go-between that um, got Charles McGonagall involved in this case. And, of course, you have to ask some very serious questions. Has McGonagall done this before? Uh-huh. Presuming he did it this time. So now the FBI, if they're serious, will have to go back and look at every case that Charles McGonagall touched with the idea being that maybe there was corruption involved in those investigations. Maybe he shut down investigations that should not have been shut down. Maybe he opened investigations that never should have been opened. This is an absolute national security nightmare, but it's also an immigration story, and nobody ever covers these as immigration stories. Because if that translator, that diplomat working for the Russian government had not been able to get a security clearance, guess what? He would not have been in the position to compromise Charles McGonagall if, in fact, that's what happened. And then Shastakov does something else. He approaches McGonagall and says, you know, I have this guy who works for this oligarch that we're helping, and his daughter would love to work for the New York City Police Department on counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and international relations. And McGonagall sets her up using his connections as a high-ranking member of the FBI in New York, sets him up with the counter-terrorism division of the New York City Police Department so she could be interviewed and perhaps at some point get a job there. Because that was her goal, was to work for the NYPD. She was in college at the time. And when she was being interviewed by a New York City police sergeant assigned to counter-terrorism, she bragged to him, according to the indictment, that I have a friend in a high place in the FBI, and he's been showing me all kinds of interesting documents. Well... His antenna immediately went up, this police sergeant. He reported it to his superiors, and they reported it to the FBI. So here we have another case where, again, Shastikov, the former Russian diplomat, is apparently attempting to get a Russian woman into the New York City Police Department dealing with counterterrorism and counterintelligence. And in both cases, he used the same guy. Yeah. Amazing. So... 
And, and, and so please understand how dangerous this is. And, and so, but this isn't the first time. A couple of months earlier, I wrote another article, former DOD contract translator arrested for alleged ties to ISIS. So stop and think about that. Again, we've discussed how sensitive the position of a translator is. This translator was working with our soldiers in Afghanistan, I'm going to presume, vetting supposed refugees so they could come to the United States. So he got to see the people that were seeking to flee, people that maybe cooperated with the U.S. government, endangering their lives, the lives of their families, and perhaps helping to get terrorists to get political asylum in the United States when they went for their interviews because he could alter what he claimed was being said during the interview. But meanwhile, the amazing thing is Justice Department never even issued a press release about it. The only way that I found out about this particular case was Rolling Stone and a couple of other magazines talked about it, but they didn't seem to understand the true significance of placing a translator in such a sensitive position where he could help to move terrorists into the United States and endanger the lives of those people who helped our government. And nowhere does the federal government indict this guy for what they should have. What they indicted him for was lying on his application for a security clearance, not providing assistance to a terrorist organization, not perhaps lying on his application to get a visa to live in the United States. Because, again, all roads take us back to what? Immigration. Then we had another case where Iranians came to the United States to kill a woman who had been a dissident. She became a United States citizen, living in New York, not far from where I am, in fact. And there were two attempts to either kidnap her, put her on a boat, take her to Venezuela. Venezuela, by the way, has been working in close coordination with Iran for decades. And meanwhile, we're buying petroleum from Venezuela. Of course. Think about what the Biden administration is doing to undermine U.S. national security. Venezuela was going to be the place where the boat would dock. They would take the woman off the boat and then fly it to Iran where they would either imprison her, torture her, maybe kill her. Fortunately, the FBI thwarted that plot. A year later, this is last summer, another guy shows up, and the newspapers and, and everybody said, well, Yonkers man shows up on this woman's front porch, with, has an AK-47 with no serial numbers, but it's stamped made in China. The amazing thing about this particular case is that the guy wasn't just a Yonkers man. He was a citizen of Azerbaijan. And according to a foreign news source, they wrote an article about it, in his possession, besides the gun and ammunition and a couple thousand dollars in cash, he had an expired employment authorization document issued by the Department of Homeland Security. So those documents are issued either by uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services or perhaps by Customs and Border Protection. But the idea is that follows the making of an application to some kind of an immigration benefit. So this individual, who was apparently here to kill this woman, was known to immigration authorities. But no one is talking about how he was able to enter the United States. No one is talking about why he was granted employment authorization in the United States either. But now the um, Justice Department announced the indictment of that individual with several others who came to the United States with the intentions of killing or kidnapping the woman. Okay, how did they come here? Guess what? This is, again, an immigration story. But all we're hearing about is the southern border. Now, don't for a heartbeat misunderstand what I'm saying to you. The southern border is a critical border. It is a disaster. Yes. And we know from, from other hearings that Iran, through Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization, has sent tens of thousands of their agents to Latin America. They've been here for quite some time working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to move people and narcotics into the United States. And among the people are undoubtedly sleeper agents, and some have been arrested over time. So think about that one. You've got Iran with a huge presence in Latin America. In fact, there was just a report that they uh, put a couple of their warships near the Panama Canal. While we're looking at the balloon, you've got Iranian ships near the Panama Canal in our hemisphere. You've got Hezbollah agents operating throughout Latin America with human traffickers and drug smugglers, right? And you have people screaming bloody murder. What do you mean you want to secure the Mexican border? By the way, 
and I thought Trump did a lousy job of explaining why we needed a border wall. The border wall, believe it or not, folks, is not designed to stop the entry of a single person into the United States. If it was, then it would have blocked off the ports of entry, but it didn't. Okay? The idea was to make certain that people go through a port of entry and that commerce goes through ports of entry. For what purpose? To keep drugs out of the United States, to keep aliens out of the United States who pose a threat to public safety, public health, national security, or the jobs and wages of Americans. That's why we have immigration laws. There's no distinction in our laws about race, religion, or ethnicity. And I'll be honest, if the laws were like that, I couldn't have enforced them for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. My family was decimated in the Holocaust, okay? The immigration laws are about protecting Americans. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it enumerates who we're supposed to keep out. And that's what it's about. Public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. All right. So the Mike, idea... Go, you, go, sorry, I, got, I got you to take a breath here, all right? And we got to take a okay. quick break. You stay with us. Don't go anywhere. This is my man. When I want to talk about immigration, when I want to talk about immigration reform, when I want to talk about the border... When I want to talk about human trafficking, this is the man who knows the lay of the land, and his name is Michael Cutler. Uh, don't forget about Pat Davis, your health plan man. He's going to save you 30 to 50 percent on your health insurance. He's going to get rid of all of your co-pays, cut back on all of your uh, payments you got to make before you can even get to your insurance. What you need to do is call or text them at 501-605-6935. That's 501-605-6935 and start saving money, thousands of dollars over the year. Again, 501-605-6935, text or call there or go online to yourhealthplanman.com. Michael Cutler is our special guest. Michael, for people who want to read these articles more in depth, where do they need to go? Sure. Uh, thanks for that opportunity. It's Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. It's sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I also post my articles on my own website, michaelcutler.net, one word, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. And I also host the Internet Blog Talk radio program, the Michael Cutler Hour. It's a one-hour show that I do Friday night, 7 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio, the Michael Cutler Hour. You know, this is about educating the American people. The news media has shut down most honest discussions about immigration. And by the way, it's both parties that have gotten us into this mess. Yep. We've got to be very clear about this. Um, you know, George Washington had a very interesting quote during his farewell address that's worth remembering. It's a quick quote, but I, I want everyone to think about this. This is George Washington during his farewell address to the following. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. And to this point... Uh, there was a very interesting uh, editorial commentary that was written by two gentlemen that I think everyone's familiar with, Mark Morgan and um, Tom Holman. Mark Morgan, these guys were, uh, were part of the Trump administration. Mark was the director of Customs and Border Protection, yep. and, and Tom was the acting director of VICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And I know both of these guys. They're, they're, they're good people. And the article they wrote for The Hill, and this was just a couple days ago, February 2nd, the GOP needs to pick a side on border security. And it goes on and starts by saying this. In 2022, Republican leadership made numerous promises about securing the border, ending the Biden border crisis, and reducing illegal immigration. Less than a month into this new Congress, they are already breaking their commitments. If securing the border is the football, the GOP is Lucy. During the campaign season, it's all about securing the border, no questions asked. But once elected, some members focus changes to comprehensive immigration reform, a backroom deal that holds border security hostage to mass amnesty, and the GOP leadership indulges them. 1986, 2007, 2013, 
there's long been a massive disconnect between Republicans' tough rhetoric on cable news and the campaign trail and the policies they support on Capitol Hill. The disconnect is on display once again. And here's something for everyone to think about. Again, this is quoting from that editorial. Representative Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, recently introduced H.R. 29, that's a bill, H.R. 29, which would address the massive problem of asylum abuse. It would require illegal immigrants who apply for asylum to either remain in the custody of Customs and Border Protection while their claim is adjudicated or return to a safe third country to await the outcome. Individuals can still apply for asylum, but H.R. 29 ends the current practice basically of catch and release, okay? And what they go on is to talk about how there are Republicans attacking it. For example, Representative Anthony Gonzalez, Republican from Texas, called the measure, quote, not Christian and anti-American, falsely claiming that it would end asylum claims, okay? Representatives Don Bacon, Republican from Nebraska, and Maria Salazar, Republican from Florida, who supports amnesty for tens of millions of illegal immigrants in the United States, also express public opposition. And if you want further proof, all that the media and all that the politicians want to talk about is the southern border, right? We have a crisis on the southern border. Let's be clear. We have a crisis on the southern border. But on January 28th of this year, Fox News reported, and listen to this headline, Vermont border apprehensions in last three months more than the past two years combined. Yep. Vermont is on the northern border. All right, okay. Michael, I want you to hold your, your powder. This is something we need to talk about significantly. I got to get news in. I'm going to bring sure. you up, and I got another half hour set upside for you to come on and talk here on the Dave Ellswick Show, talking about border security, talking about what's happening on all the borders here of the United States who uh, worked on uh, border security for, what, 30 years, Michael? Is that what you said? Yeah, I was with the old INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, for 30 years. I began my career as an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport, did that job for four years. For one of those years, I worked as an adjudicator during the marriage interviews you've seen in the movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I rotated through all the squads in the investigations branch. I became the INS rep to DEA intelligence in New York, and then I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF. I worked with foreign governments. Uh, And by the way, I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission, and I've testified before numerous hearings in the House and Senate and at legislative hearings around the country on the nexus between immigration public safety, and national security. Yeah, you've been around for a while. You've seen it all, haven't you? Yeah, and I started in 71. And if you want to talk about a a sea change, my goodness, um, we've lost our collective minds. And what's really happened, Dave, in my judgment, is that the globalists want to end America's borders. I remember having an argument with a guy who was affiliated with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. These people are all feeding at this trough. And there was a recess in the hearing because the members of Congress had to go vote on some bills. And he walked up to me. We were both testifying at the hearing. He shook hands with me. He said, Mr. Cutler, you have to stop this nonsense about border security. And this was about three years after 9-11. I said, you know, I'm a New Yorker. On 9-11, my neighbors died in the ashes, landed on my house, landed on my family in Brooklyn. He said, I don't give a damn about that. He said, you know what that border is? I said, yes, it's our first and last line of defense. He said, maybe to you, to me, that border is an impediment to my wealth, and you are costing us a fortune by advocating a secure border. I was thunderstruck. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Well, yeah, money over everything. Yeah, we don't care about anything. We know the price of everything, the value of nothing. And it's interesting because the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, this was an official report printed by the government printing office, It was written by the federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. The preface of that report begins with the following paragraph. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. By the way, you got to find, you have to figure out what imbeciles ran federal agencies that couldn't figure out that border security is national security. 
But this, but this paragraph goes on and says, indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. So they weren't just talking about the Mexican border. They were talking about the visa process, okay? And we know that once in the United States, the terrorist goal was to keep a low profile and go about their deadly preparations. So the 9-11 Commission talked about the need for interior enforcement, okay? Here's a, a paragraph just about that. Abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. And that, and that was, and, cities, go ahead. This was written. Go ahead and finish up. Yeah. And we never hired enough agents to do interior enforcement. The way that Bush put the DHS together, I called it the Department of Homeland Surrender. He cut immigration in half between Customs and Border Protection and ICE. That was never supposed to happen. He folded in other non-relevant agencies. That wasn't supposed to happen. And to their credit, some very courageous Republicans, people like John Hostetler, Jim Sensenbrenner, Lamar Smith, they stood strongly against what Bush did. That's when they started calling me for hearings to provide a counterpoint to the Bush administration. Okay, so let me let me jump in. Let me let the doors off the hinges. Let me jump in. This was written when? This was written around two thousand two. All right, so twenty two years ago almost, and we still haven't taken care of it. No, it's absolutely gotten worse. And they went on and talked about the link between human smugglers and terrorists in July. This is from the, the report. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. And I want to read one other thing. Because what this administration has done, and and the Republicans are doing nothing to counter it. All they're saying is, we don't need 87,000 IRS agents, which we don't. We need 87,000 Border Patrol agents. Really? We need ICE agents. Okay? Because these aliens are now in the country. It's been estimated that over 5 million aliens have been admitted into the United States. Of course, we don't use the word alien, going back to Jimmy Carter with his Orwellian nonsense. The term alien is not an insult. All it means is any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Mm -hmm. Where's the insult? And when you look at the term DREAM Act, everyone has forgotten it's an acronym. DREAM Act stands for Development, Relief, and Education of what? Alien Minors. So when the word alien can push the agenda and the narrative, then they're happy to use the word alien. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. So now they're calling them migrants. Migrant ignores immigration because there are American migrant farmers who work on farms in the United States and they're as American as you or I, Dave. So they call them migrants, anything but aliens, anything but, you know, talking about the truth. And, and, you know, I call them something else. I call them clients because these aliens are the clients of immigration law firms and you have immigration lawyers on both sides of the aisle and the NGOs, the non-government organizations. You know, it was remarkable because Judicial Watch and um, quoted an OIG report, an Office of Inspector General report. Apparently, there's an organization that got over a $100 million contract to care for the aliens coming across the border, thanks to Mr. Biden. Think about that. It was determined by the OIG that $17 million went for beds that were never used. And Judicial Watch did some digging and found out that all of this happened, and it was a no-bid contract. It was no competition for this hundred-plus-million-dollar contract. And what's remarkable is that somebody who worked in the Biden administration's transition team at DHS left Biden, went to work for that NGO, and within a month or two of being made one of the bosses of that outfit, they got more than a hundred-million-dollar no-competitive-bid contract. 
And if you look at the omnibus spending bill, that monstrosity, it had two or I have to get it two or four billion dollars to address the border crisis. But it's clearly stated that you may not use a single penny to secure the border, only mm-hmm. to care for the migrants. Well, that's that correct. The NGOs will be getting two billion or four billion, whatever the number is. And just to finish my thought about the border wall, when you go to a baseball game, you're not allowed to traipse across the field. You're expected to go through a gate, purchase a ticket, maybe go through a metal detector to make sure that everybody is safe, kind of like what we do when we get on airplanes. But how many Republicans oppose the border wall, knowing full well that this wasn't about keeping people out of the country, but about keeping out people who pose the threat and keeping out narcotics? It's remarkable that we lose over 100,000 people per year to poisoning. These aren't overdoses. People are getting fentanyl without thinking they're getting fentanyl. It's poisoning. And it's being done by China, and our country is doing nothing about it. Now the balloon floats over the country, and China's in the news. We are doing deals with the devil, as far as I'm concerned. And where are the Republicans? Why aren't they talking about the need for interior enforcement? And you've had, and I want you folks to pay attention to this because it blows my mind. During interviews, many Republicans have been interviewed. Let's say at Fox, and they're asked, "What would you do with the border crisis?" Oh, we got to get rid of Mayorkas. Well, Mayorkas never should have been hired. I think they should prosecute him for violating the Constitution and threatening national security. But how many people did he put into key positions? They're mm-hmm. all they permeate the entire DHS, right? But the problem is this. They very often, these same Republicans will say, well, we really can't address comprehensive immigration reform until we get the border under control. Who asked you about comprehensive reform? Now, understand what comprehensive immigration reform would mean. I I did several hearings about it back in the early 2000s, and I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times, and Senator Jeff Sessions, in fact, quoted me from the floor of the Senate during the floor debate about comprehensive reform. I think it was in 2006 or 2007. Because I gave it a new and more honest name. I came to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Because when you're dealing with millions of people, and it's not 11 million, by now we're probably looking at 30 or 40 million, God knows, um, there will be no interviews. There will be no field investigations, period, full stop. There's no way to interview tens of millions of people. Forget about field investigations. And then people come up with with this nonsense. Well, if they've been living here for the last 10 years, how do you know how long they've been living here? You could have an alien come to the United States illegally a month from, you know, next Sunday and claim to have been here since 2000. If you can't interview the person and you can't knock on doors and show photographs and conduct a field investigation, which I've done as an agent, how in the world do you know how long the person has been living here? The answer is you don't. So anybody that gets in and makes an application will be able to lie through their teeth, and when they do that, they will get what they want. Now, I want you to think about what the – by the way, realize that whatever the number is, it will be a multiple of what we believe are here now. Correct. Because under the law, as soon as you get lawful status – and I agree with the law, but this would be an act of national suicide in this case – let's say every alien on average – files for four minor children, because you can bring your minor kids here once you get legal status, and you can bring your spouses here once you get legal status. Let's say on average, and I'm being a wild-eyed optimist, each legalized alien claims just four children. Let's say we legalize 30 million people. You're looking at how many people? 120 million children from all over the world suddenly flowing into the United States. They're going to need to be educated. They impact the environment. You know, it's remarkable. There's a drought in the West, and I I spoke about this on another radio show, and the host freaked out. I did a little digging. Every person needs roughly 100 gallons of water a day for sanitary reasons, for cooking, for drinking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You bring in 5 million, which is what we've been told Biden did, that's 500 million gallons of water each and every day being consumed by people who have no right to be in the United States. Just think of that alone. The electricity demands, the demands on transportation, infrastructure, it would crush us. It would be the end of America, not because I'm a xenophobe. It's just a matter of doing the math. If you're going to throw a party and you suddenly realize you don't have a big enough hall or enough money, you start taking names off the list because you realize you have limited resources. 
As it is, America admits more lawful immigrants every year than the rest of the world combined. Well over a million given green cards placed on the path to citizenship. All right. We are going to drive ourselves down the tubes. But I want to read this one paragraph before we run out of time. Okay, quickly. This is again from the, the staff report. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans would come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, that's DACA, or applying for asylum after entering. We now have millions of applications and, and for asylum. Think about that. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. These folks are going to be here for years. They don't even have court dates. Think of that, Dave. Terrorists, this is that report, says this. Terrorists were therefore free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And we have flooded the asylum system with so many aliens that it will be years before they're due to show up in court, and we have no one to look for them if they do fail to show up for court. This is undermining national security in a way that is unprecedented in the history of the United States, and yet I've yet to hear a Republican call for hiring ICE agents so that we could figure out who we let in. Final point, the FBI was recently requested and given, I believe it was 13 or $15 million in emergency funding to do what? Look for the Afghans that we let into the United States when Afghanistan fell, thanks to Mr. Biden's ineptitude. So we have no idea who's here, but we're going to legalize millions. And it only took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. How's that for putting it in perspective? Yeah, you put it in perspective every time you're on with me, Michael. You hold on. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, you bet. you're going to have about three or four minutes to talk about the northern border here on the Dave Ellswick sure. Show. Don't forget about East End Towing, East End Towing. What happens after that 911 call you make? You know, what's the process? Well, the folks at East End Towing know, and uh, if you call and want you, or you have them call and say have you have them use east end towing here's what you know will happen they'll take your car to where you want it to go to it won't end up at some other place it will not end up in an impound lot what you knew, need to know is that no matter the situation east end towing can handle it they've got all the answers to take care of you call them when it's time at 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. All right, so, Michael, I've got you five minutes here to talk about the northern okay. border. Bring us up to date. Sure, the northern border is a sieve, okay? And so when we're told we need more Border Patrol agents to secure the border, please realize that in total the United States has more than 100,000 miles of border. That's not a mistake. 100 thousand miles because we're taking into account coastline the northern border and the southern border and then we have international airports you know now suddenly people are saying well every state's a border state because they're moving illegal aliens from the mexican border to the rest of the country no we've always been a country 50 border states in fact new york was identified as the city in the united states with the greatest number of illegal aliens for decades we hit the trifecta. We've got the northern border in New York State. We've got seaports, and we have international airports. And all that the media and the politicians are willing to talk about is the Mexican border. So you mean if fentanyl and, and poisons are coming across the Canadian border or, or being pa packaged and, and flown into our international airports, that's okay? Of course it's not. You know, this is kind of like a country with, with I, I called it the immigration colander, right? Border security and the immigration colander. We're being given the false narrative that once we get the Mexican border under control, the sun will shine and everybody's going to be happy. No, we have a problem because this country has so many ways of entering the United States. I jokingly wrote an article years ago, and I said, you know, Paul Revere had it, hap had it easy. All he needed was three lanterns to cover the two ways that people could have, you know, how the Brits could come here. One if by land, two if by sea. With three lanterns, he had them covered. If you were trying to figure out the different ways that aliens, including criminals and terrorists, could get here, you'd have to buy up all of the lanterns in a local hardware store and probably set fire to the Old North Church in the process. <laughs> and yet all we're told is focus on the southern border. 
any politician, and I don't care if they're with the Hopping Kangaroo Party, who says we need comprehensive reform, they need to be removed from office because this would be catastrophic. There's absolutely no reason to provide legal status to people who snuck into the country to evade the vetting process that we conduct to keep the bad guys out of the country. I don't know any rational person who would get on board an airplane if they saw fellow passengers evading the inspections process conducted by the TSA. Why then are we being forced to live among millions who evaded a similar vetting process and now you have politicians in both parties who want to give these folks lawful status without the ability to interview them, without the ability to conduct a field investigation. I promise you, you're looking at terrorists. And you saw what the 9-11 Commission warned about. This isn't Mike Cutler uh, having a hissy fit. This is what we know from history. Almost every terrorist who came to this country from another country, whether it was the 93 bombing at the Trade Center, the shooting at the CIA, San Bernardino, the Boston Marathon, these were aliens who came here not just from the Mexican border, and then they applied for asylum, got U.S. citizenship by lying through their teeth and using it as an embedding tactic. You know, people say if you have a border wall, you need a ladder to get over the border wall. I can give you something that's a lot more effective and more convenient, a green card, a U.S. passport. So the idea that we're going to give lawful status and basically the keys to America's front door to people whose identities and motivation for coming here are unknown and unknowable would be an act of suicide. A fast analogy, there's a warning now about not leaving garage door openers in your car along with any paperwork that identifies your address. Why? Because burglars are going to the high-end cars, you know, the, the Lexus and the Mercedes and the Beamers, and they're stealing the garage door opener. Why? So they can go to the guy's house when he's away at work, open the garage door, and get into the house without breaking in. That's what visa fraud is like. You're getting the key to the front door so you can operate in our country freely and then carry out an attack. All right. And yet I've yet to hear any Republicans warn about it. We have to have these conversations among ourselves, folks, because democracy is not a spectator sport. It's up to we, the people, to educate each other and seek common ground, focus on what makes us most similar, not what makes us different. All right. Michael, we're out of time. Quickly, okay. again, the website to come read your articles in their entirety. Sure. Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, my own personal website, michaelcutler.net. And please check out my internet radio program, Blog Talk Radio, Friday nights at 7 p.m. East Coast time, the Michael Cutler Hour. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Anytime you want me, I am here for you. I certainly appreciate the great work that you do. All right. We will talk to you in the very near future. Michael Cutler here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great day there in New Thank York. You too. All right. Be well.